Welcome again to the Impact Church Podcast. Today we're looking at a sermon called Better Together, and this one is all about groups, about how getting involved in vital connections with other members of the body of Christ, not just on a Sunday morning, but in a small group. I mean, in those situations where you're face-to-face with other people, you can really share life together. That's what growth's all about. So sit back, tune in, and get ready to connect. All right, guys, so you might know we did a a sermon series on uh, 1 Peter over the summer. I hope you enjoyed it. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. It was tricky. It was tough because, you know, when you read through the Bible, you got to read through the Bible. And you, you know what I mean? You got you got not that there's anything wrong with that, but when you're confronted with something, you've actually got to look at it and be like, oh, my goodness, what does that mean? And how does that work for us today? So that was a lot of fun. And then last week, so we, we're, we're here for what, like two more Sundays, right? So we got today and then two more Sundays. So Bobby and Cheryl, actually, uh, Pastor Bobby and Pastor Cheryl from uh, Impact Church Bridgewater are going to be with us on the last Sunday. So how exciting is that? I'm looking forward to that. I, I watch Pastor Bobby on, uh, on uh, YouTube and watch his sermons. And actually, it's really, really cool. So there's a whole Impact world that you can connect with, actually. There's, uh, we got a church in Toronto. We got the church out in Nova Scotia. So uh, subscribe, follow them on YouTube, watch them on Facebook. It's actually a lot of fun to see what's going on in the Impact Church world. But uh, so today, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about impact groups. And uh, it's going to be a little bit more than just a, a, an info session and, a, a, you know, a, an infomercial to try and get you to sign up for groups. Because I actually want to talk to you today about the, the, the power of who we are together. So these last couple of weeks, we're here anyways, we're talking about things that are really important to us. Who we are, what's been important over the years, and what's going to, you know, really shape and frame something going forward. And if you weren't here last week or you didn't see last week, I would strongly recommend, strongly encourage you to go back and watch that when Pastor Carl talked about the two trees. Because there's two trees in the garden, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then there was the tree of life. And that's constantly the choice before us on a daily basis. It's to live out of the knowledge of good and evil, to live by what we think is right, what we think is wrong, to live by the codes and the values and the ethics that we put together when we read the scriptures in that way. Or we can live by participating in the life of Christ. We can eat of Christ and let the good that comes out of our lives be a a spontaneous expression of his inner life, which is actually how we were designed to live. So what I'm going to share with you today about groups and about the power of who we are as a people, it's really, really important to understand that who we are as a people, we are a community of life. We're not a community that gets together and tells each other what to do and how to live and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes that thing's really, really important, but it flows out of life. So what we are together, it's like, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden. You got this picture of Eve. She takes the fruit of this tree and she gives it to Adam to eat and she poisoned him. And they both became corrupted. But we're a community of people who takes of the tree of life. We take of Christ and we share Christ together. We share Christ with the world and all of a sudden good stuff happens. And his life starts to flow out of who we are. And that's actually God's recipe for blessing the world. The life of Christ in and through a community of people. So I also want to tell you, if you hear anything today, I'm going to try and share a little bit as well about what I see for the future and where I think groups are are going to be really, really important as we move forward as a church and just as the church in the world. But I really wholeheartedly believe this. I really honestly believe that what God is going to do in the times that we live and this next great thing, like I don't know if you've got vision and dreams for things that you want to participate with God in in your life. You've got a dream and a plan, whether it's at your workplace or your family, or there's just something that you just know, I was born for this time. I was born to participate with God in something big, and it's on the horizon. In fact, it's already here. 
And I want to tell you that the, the single most important thing I think you can do to get ready for that, in order to participate in that and to be fully fruitful in that moment, is to learn and to develop the skills of connecting with other human beings. Because I honestly believe what God is going to do in the future, it's not going to be necessarily initiated from the pulpit or the stage. It's going to be something that happens in relational networks and connections face-to-face with other people. That's what God's going to do. That, I believe, really is honestly the medium through which God is going to do this big thing that we're all hoping for. And if our paradigm is God move from heaven and zap people external from myself and without my personal relational engagement in their lives, I think we're going to be waiting a very, very long time. I think what God's saying is, come on, guys, let's get involved in people's lives. Let's connect. Let's do face-to-face with people. Let's get involved in relationships because it's through the connection. It's over the bridge of intimate, personal connections with other people. Over that bridge is where the glory and the goodness of God is going to roll in the days ahead. It's not going to be that we're sitting around praying and saying, God, zap them, zap them, do something. We're going to have to roll up our sleeves. And like Jesus, we're going to have to become incarnate in people's lives in a relational way. We're going to have to be able to connect with people, be able to say, because you know what? It's one thing to say to the world, welcome in, guys. Welcome to the church. Come and share a Sunday experience with us. Come and sit with our pew, in our pews with us, and let's worship God together and experience his corporate presence. That's one thing, and that's great. We need that. But it's another thing to say, come on in. I'm welcoming you into our community and into our relationships. Now we're not just going to share a Sunday service together. We're going to share the experience of ourselves together. And we share our life with people. And I'm telling you, that's where it's going to be at. That is where it's at. And groups, I honestly believe, have a really significant part to play in that whole dynamic unfolding in the church. Not just this church, but that church. And it's not because there's something magical about the programs called small groups. It's because small groups provide us with an opportunity to connect with one another. They give us the opportunity to do things that you can't do on a Sunday. Like, it's really great to see everybody here. And I was sitting at the back, and I love worshiping with everybody. I love it, watching people worship and being part of what's happening. I absolutely love it. But the cool thing, I need that. But the cool thing is in a group, I'm sitting in a circle with somebody, and I talk to you, and you talk back to me. And my perspective and who I am is shaped by what you bring to the table. So I really like that. And I want to show you real quick just how easy it is to sign up for an impact group. It's it's really easy. Watch this. You can go to our website, impactlondon.ca. Hopefully this works. I try props sometimes and it doesn't really come off, but uh, there's the link. Here we go. As long as the internet cooperates, this is the front page of the Impact Church website. You literally just go to connect, impact groups, and they'll all pop up, all the ones that we've got. We've got Zoom groups. We've got groups meeting in homes. We've got groups meeting here on a Wednesday night. We've got groups here for those who are 55 plus. If you want to bring your own bag lunch and have a time of worship and fellowship with, with other people, uh, that's Tuesday at 12. We've got Zoom groups Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Friday afternoon, 1 o'clock, we got Zoom groups. we got Zoom prayer at 7 o'clock on Friday morning. We've got a group that meets out in Almer, one in Stratfordville. we got Pastor Carl's breakfast group, which actually, by the way, is going to meet at the church, not at Family Circle Restaurant. Oh, this Tuesday, sorry. This Tuesday, you're going to meet at Family Circle Restaurant. So that special announcement. I'm glad we did that. But let me show you right now, real quick. You just go to that page and then watch this. I'm going to say I want to join the gospel in 10 words. I'm going to click on the picture. I'm going to fill out all my details. And there's my phone number if anybody wants it. Boom. (laughs) There it is. I just signed up for a group. Just signed up. up. Really, really easy, guys. So I just wanted to show you that because it's actually, uh, it's really easy. 
It's not a, a, a difficult process. I know sometimes technology can be a little bit intimidating, but we've got a lot of stuff going on. And if you honestly, if you want to know a little bit more about groups, please email me, groups at impactlondon.ca. If you have trouble with Zoom or anything like that, I can help you. I can set it up. I'm, I'm not the most tech, technological savvy person in the world, but I have set up a few Zoom accounts before. So uh, any type of please don't let anything be an obstacle. Please don't let anything practical or technological be an ob obstacle to joining the group because we can overcome that really easily. All right. So th there's that. That's just something I wanted to share. And I want to encourage you because in groups, I mean, I've had some pretty cool experiences here in church, like in, in, on a Sunday, like some pretty awesome life changing moments. And uh, it's actually really, really powerful when you come together with the people of God and you experience the corporate dynamic of what happens when the river of God inside of us converges on a Sunday morning and we're all here and something powerful happens. It's actually amazing. But you know what? I've had some pretty cool things happen in groups, too. You know, I've seen bodies healed in groups. It doesn't have to happen on a Sunday morning. We had a Zoom group one time with the young adults where somebody hurt his hand. He hurt his hand at work. He was all bandaged up. We prayed for that guy online. He took his bandage off and function was restored to his hand. In a Zoom group, he had a cut across his, his wrist. And, and, and in faith, we said, you know what? Put that up on the screen. We want to see it. We're going to pray for the scar and the cut itself to go away. And 13 young adults watched as they prayed and the scar disappeared in front of our very eyes. I've seen people in groups, guys. I've seen people in groups with no faith in God whatsoever. I've seen people come to groups and experience the power of acceptance and belonging, and just the sheer power of that itself walk away with a newfound faith in a God they didn't believe existed because they experienced the power of his love in a community. That's, that's people getting saved radically saved and connected into a relationship with Jesus Christ without necessarily a preach from the front. That's just the power of connecting and belonging. I've seen people filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit over a Zoom group, like just flopping like a fish on the couch while we all watch it. I've seen, we've, we've prayed for people and seen impartation of spiritual gifts over Zoom, only to hear them come back a couple weeks later and say, you know what, that gift that you prophesied over my life, I actually used it in another group and look at the fruit from it. How cool is that? That's in a group. That's not in, just on a Sunday. I've seen signs and wonders. You know, the Bible says, whether you like this or not, it says that there will be signs in the heavens and wonders in the, in the earth below. We prophesied over people, and they've come back and said weird things like it rained in my house. Not because the window was open, but because God moved in their life in a really significant way. That kind of thing that, you know, you, you go to a conference to get, that kind of weird thing, that happens in groups. That happens over Zoom groups. There's all sorts of cool stuff. I've seen leaders develop, relationships flourish. I've seen a group come together when a family member was pregnant and having a kid, and this group came together and got that, that person a stroller and got some supplies. I've seen friendships form and bonds last that far outlast the length of the group. I mean, and tell me that's not church. I mean, that's the good stuff. That's like the creamy, gooey goodness of church community together where actual lives are touched and impacted. I'm talking signs, wonders, miracles, salvations, healings, deliverances. I'm seeing people connected with Jesus in a way that's just not happened in their lives before. Believing that God they didn't even think existed. And you know what? It wasn't a 16-point sermon that got them saved. It was experiencing the love of God in a community that opened their eyes to the reality of this God who loves them. How cool is that? I mean, how, how, how much does that fly in the face of conventional wisdom in terms of the church world, right? I mean, we want people to experience the power of the love of God. We've got to be able to share that and not necessarily just say it, right? So here's what I want to show you out of the Bible real quick. Groups. 
church, if you want to get the wealth of church, the wealth of what church can be for you and what church is for you, there's two sides to that coin. If you want to put the wealth of church life in your pocket and be enriched by it, there's two sides. There's the corporate gathering. So you see this in Acts 20.20. 20. He says, you know, I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but if taught you, get this, publicly and house to house. Acts 2, 46 and 47, this is talking about the new believers, says they continue daily with one accord in the temple, at church, in a big service with everybody else, but also from house to house. There's some things that can only happen in a corporate gathering like this, just like there's some things that can only happen face to face. So really not trying to fill your schedule with something new and, and, you know, try and convince you to give up something. I'm trying to show you out of the scriptures here that new covenant Christian life has two, or church life has two dynamics, both of which are necessary components of living an enriched existence in the house of God. And you might say, you know, I don't have time for that. I don't have, I don't have place for that in my schedule. Psalm 92 says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. It says you're going to bear fruit in old age. It says you're going to flourish by being planted in the house of God. There's something of some, some synergy. Something happens in your life when you can say, this is my church. This is where I go to. These are the people I've connected with. This is my pastor, and this is where I do communion. This is where I got baptized. This is where I go on a Sunday, and this is my group. This is my people on, on a Wednesday or something like that. There's something powerful when you have that. Like even before I worked at the church, this is what I used to do. You know, the Bible says you got to work. It says you got to provide for your family if you're able to, right? It says if you deny that, you're worse than an unbeliever. So you got to have priorities. Sometimes work happens. Sometimes life gets in the way, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But honestly, even before I worked here, I, I put in my schedule. I, I got to work. I got to go to school. And then it's Sunday and my group. And I'll tell you what, my life flourished, and my life was enriched, and I didn't miss anything when I prioritized those two things. And it's just my wife and I, our, our philosophy is, in life is you find your church and everything else works out. I just honestly really do believe that, because I believe wholeheartedly this verse. If you're planted in the house of God, you're going to flourish in the courts of the Lord. And I can honestly tell you that my life is born, you know, born out the fruit of that. And it's true. There's something that happens in your life when you are planted in God's house. And you know what? Back in the day, back in the, in the New Testament era, when the believers would, would come to faith in Christ, something powerful happened. The Bible describes that these guys were added to the church. Now, in, in our times, in our, in our Western kind of liberal tradition, and by liberal, I don't mean left-wing politics. I mean like that, that kind of liberal movement that means like that focuses on the individual. The, the strength and the power of the individual person, right? That's what I mean. But there's something in our intellectual Western tradition where, where we've kind of turned, and collectively I'm saying this, broadly speaking about our culture, Christianity has become about a set of private beliefs, values, and ethics rather than something that's lived out in community. And, and the fruit of that has been that what we've done, our discipleship, everything, and again, I'm talking about the church, the big C church, the, the church across Western culture, is Christianity has become something like, let me teach you how to read your Bible, let me teach you how to memorize some verses, how to have a good private devotional life, and figure out how to behave properly in your own life and come to your own conclusion regarding ethics and morals, and by the way, behave the way that we said. That's kind of what Christianity's been reduced to. But back in the day, you became a Christian. You were added to the church. Acts 2, 41 and 47, it says they, they were added. The Lord added daily to the church. There was something communal, something powerful happened. When you became a Christian, it wasn't just to say, okay, I have a new belief system. It, life was radically transformed relationally. 
And so discipleship for people back in the day, it was actually a case of we're going to teach you. And if you see this in the Bible, you'll see it everywhere in the Paranesis or, or in the places where Paul's giving instructions. These are geared towards how do I live with other people? How do I exist and function in a community of people where I have a bond that's so deep that we're one in spirit with Christ together, but we disagree on fundamental things about life? How do we function and flow together in that? How do people come together in a divided and polarized world? And how do we partner together in the eternal purpose of God rather than fighting and dividing ourselves based on our, you know, our issues in, the t- in this temporary world, which the, which the Bible says, you know what, You're, don't get entangled in civilian affairs. You got a higher purpose. We together have a higher purpose. So, I mean, in the, old, in, in the New Testament, back in the early church, the emphasis was how do we do life together? Not necessarily let me teach you what to believe and how to behave. Those kind of things, they knew. They were just absolutely grounded in the fact that life itself would flow out of their union with Christ. And then the impetus and the emphasis was how do we do this thing together? That's what, that's what I think God is doing in these days too. Because I'll tell you what, there's something in the world today. The world is crying out for connection. The world is crying out. Like, we've been disconnected through the pandemic, but honestly, I think all it's really done is shown us how disconnected we really were and how much of a a poor substitute social media really is for real connection. Like, people are starving for this stuff. I mean, this is anecdotal. I'm nowhere near my notes, but we'll we'll get through it. And you'll get out of here on time, I promise. But uh, there there was a fellow outside. Uh, a homeless fellow. There's a lot, a lot of crazy stuff going on in the city of London, right? And De- Desmond came into the office and he said, I need your help. There's somebody lying on the ground out there. So I went out and, you know, he, yeah, he was, he was passed out. He was fully out. He, he was on the grass just over there, his head hanging over the curb on the road. And for all intents and purposes, he looked dead. So me being me, I grabbed the stick and I poked him. And uh, don't judge me, but uh, people have weapons. It's, it's dangerous. <laughs> I'm not kidding. People, people have hammers and knives and all sorts of crazy stuff. It's a dangerous world sometimes. So, you know, nothing happened. So I thought I was going to give him a little tap on the shin, and I did. And uh, he got up. Wasn't too pleased with me, but he's like, what are you doing? Why'd you wake me up? I'm sleeping. I'm like, well, I, I can assure you there's a safer place to sleep. I, I can help you find one. And uh, he's really upset with me anyways. But do you know what? He got up, and he said, you know, do you know what the cool thing about being homeless is? He said, there's so many of us. And I was like, what? That, that bothered me. I was like, why? Was like, why are there so many homeless people? Why are you homeless? And uh, he said, you know, well, some people just have bad luck. Some people are addicted to drugs. He said, some people want to be uh, because they want their anarchists. Some people can't pay their rent. Some people have been kicked out. But he said, me? My brother was homeless, and I chose to be homeless because there's no family that I've ever found like the family of homeless people on the streets of London. And I was like, what? Like, honestly, that really bothered me, right? There, there's the human being who decided that it would be better to give up the comforts of life for community. And the only place he could find it that was welcoming and, un, you know, not judging and unaccept, you know, accepting of who he was and the choices that he'd made in his life was other people in the same situation. How crazy is that? I'm telling you, people are hungry for connection, even to the point where they will forego anything and everything in order to have it. It's crazy, it's, it's, it's a massive eye-opener and, 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 and actually really, really tragic, but wow. We can be that place. We are that place. 
We say welcome home, and we mean it. And we don't just mean, we don't just mean come in and sit on a back row. We mean come on in, and we're going to get involved in your life. We're going to get involved in a relationship. We're going to sit down in a circle with you and talk with you. We don't just mean, yes, you can share a roof with us for two hours. We want to say, you know what, guys? We want to walk with you and do life with you. And all the components of what Jesus has to offer you, it's relationally delivered. And I'm here to be in relationship with you. We can do that. We do do that. We've seen the fruit of it. We've seen some pretty cool stuff. And we're going to see even more in the future. But I'm telling you, it's going to take a, a mental shift to say, you know what? All this stuff that I want to see God do, God's not going to do for me. And he's not going to do to me. He's going to do through me. And he's going to do it in a relational connection with other people. So real quick, there's just three basics of impact groups. Three things that impact groups can do for us. And one of them is fellowship. I hope you know this. I hope, I hope you haven't had to learn this the hard way like, like I have because I'm just a massive introvert. I prefer to be by myself. But I'll tell you what. We are made for fellowship. We need people. Even in the garden, it says, man, it's not good for these people to be alone. God made Adam, and he, he walked with him. He had unfettered access to God himself, and God said, wow, that's not enough for you. You need something more. Isn't that crazy? And more and more, we're discovering that we're made for connection. We function and flourish best as human beings when we are vitally connected to other people. So I, I love Brene Brown, but in, in Daring, Daring Greatly, she quotes neuroscience uh, researcher John Cacioppo, and he, he makes the argument that we don't derive our strength in life from our rugged individualism, but rather from our collective ability to plan, communicate, and work together. Now, doesn't that fly in the face of what culture tells us? In our liberal culture, the strong person is the independent, autonomous person who, you know, takes on the world by themselves and wins. Doesn't need anyone, doesn't need anything from anybody, lives unattached and unconnected to anybody. I just exist as a strong island all by myself. And that's kind of our culture's view of what strength is. And for dudes, that's actually kind of one of the, the pillars of, like, some versions of masculinity as well, is I'm the strong, rugged individual, but he's actually saying scientifically what the scriptures have been saying all along. If you're planted in the house of God and vital connections with people, then you're going to flourish. He says our neural, hormonal, and genetic makeup support interdependence over independence. And he explained to grow into adulthood as a social species is not to become autonomous and solitary. It's to become the one on whom others can depend. And that's not like a creepy dependence, I'm making you dependent on me, but I'm actually willing and able, I understand I'm complete in Christ, and I don't necessarily need you to complete me, but I can show up in relationship with you, and you can get strength from our connection. I'm somebody who you know is going to show up wholeheartedly and authentically, and you're going to be blessed when I show up. And not in a creepy and a weird way, but you know you're complete in Christ. You know you're not trying to take something from people. You know you've got something to give, and you're able to show up in that context. And whether we know it or not, our brain and our biology have been shaped to favor this outcome. Anything and everything inside of us needs this. If we don't think so, if we shut that down within us, something funny goes on, and it's because we're made in the image of God. Think about this. This might actually have to reshape how we consider personhood. You know, the Trinity, the mystery of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one. The reason why that's so confusing for us is because we in a Western world define personhood as me, myself, and I. The, the unholy Trinity, right? There's nothing that exists outside of myself. But in the Trinity, and being made in the image of God might have to consider the possibility that something about me comes more fully alive when I realize the connection and the interdependence I have with others. 
It could just be that that's, that, that's our, our struggles with this concept flows from our, we're a product of our, our philosophical heritage. But God exists in Trinity. And you know what? It's actually in the absence of connection that we find a lot of things that are the opposite of the image of God. Things like addiction and broken behavior and things like that. Like I can attest that a lot of the stupid decisions I made in my life were because of a lack of connection. You know, more and more researchers, and I think if you look in the Bible, you'll see it too. People don't make poor decisions because they're trying to deliberately be delinquent. It's because something hurts. It's because there's something missing. It's because there's, you know, a lack of connection in our lives and we don't know how to get it or we're too afraid of it. So we feel shame. We hear the world tell us you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. And we believe it and we hide and we don't want to connect and we don't want to take the chance of putting ourselves out there because what if I get rejected? I already feel poorly enough about myself. I don't want to show up in a group because if I do, what if I say something stupid? Did you know how many dumb things I've said in my life? Just ask my wife. But I show up and I say dumb things over and over and over again, right? Because I know God loves me. Deep down, I know there's people in my life who love me. And there's a security and a sense of purpose and connection that I live with because I've experienced the love of God. Not somebody saying to me, God loves you, but I have been shaped and transformed by being part of a community who, after I say something dumb, still loves me and I get to live out the love of God. And I get to develop a sense of self that's been shaped by how people treat me rather than just what they say to me. And I honestly think that's one of the missing dynamics of discipleship. That's why, you know, when we're here today, you know, people put up their hand and accept Jesus. We, we offer a, a pathway to relationship and connection, not just a one-time decision. Because we understand that walking with Jesus is something that happens together. And we need each other. Personally, I, I do a lot of groups. It's kind of one of the things that I do around here. I, just last time, I think I did seven or eight groups. And honestly, it was, it was amazing. I sit there with my clipboard over Zoom and I take notes. And I learn so much every time from everybody. Because there's something, you know, I, I can stand up here and I can talk to you, but there's something I'm missing. There's something I need to hear you say back to me. There's something I need you to say to me. You know, what about this, Zach? What about that? You know, when you said that, this kind of happened for me. I, I need that. My life is better because I interact with people. And here's the thing, guys. we got to have a vision for the kind of relationship with one another where it's not just, it's not just this. It's not just, okay, I, I understand that I need relationships. So I'm going to get in a relationship with Pastor Carl. And I'm going to be blessed, obviously. Pastor Carl's going to get in a relationship with me, and he's going to be blessed too. Right? So here's the thing. Here's where we get into the realm of function. I want to show you this out of Ephesians, just because time's going by real quick here. But the Bible talks about when it comes to functioning properly, when it comes to functioning as a human being and actually being fruitful in our lives, it's actually what our connection produces for other people. So Pastor Carl and I are in a relationship, and we're mutually benefited and blessed, right? But the real, you know, creamy center of the goodness here is actually what happens as a result of our relationship. So I've got a vision for a relationship with people that's much more than what you can do for me and what I can do for you. It's what can we together do for other people? See, we are blessed by the love of the Father for the Son. The Father loves the Son, put all things into his hands, and because the Son has joined himself to us, all the love and the goodness that the Father has given the Son, we have been drafted and grafted into it, and we get to experience it. We get to experience the joy, the power, and the presence of the Son's love for the Father. We are blessed because of the love that exists within the Trinity, and that's how we're going to see the world transformed, is when we invite people into the power of our relationships and connections together. 
the problem in the world is not necessarily that people don't know what the Bible says. And it's not that people don't understand that they're sinners. It's not that people don't understand what's right and what's wrong. There is a deficit of love and connection. There's a deficit of the knowledge of God that only comes in a relational context because God is relational. So something happens when we have a purposeful, intentional decision. We are going to relate to one another, connect to each other, and the fruit of who we are together is bigger than just us, and it's going to bless other people. That is the vision we need as a church. That is, who are we together? Ask yourself the question, who are we together? And what can our connection together do for the world? And is it of the quality and the scope that we can bring other people into it and know that they're going to get blessed? And you know what? The answer is a resounding yes. And the reason why it's a resounding yes is what holds us together is the very life and person of Jesus Christ. We have a unity and we have a quality of connection with one another that's not dependent on what we talked about earlier, the knowledge of good and evil. The quality of our relationships together is not dependent on whether you tick my box behaviorally, whether you agree with me in politics or have the same doctrine as me. What actually knits us and holds us together is the fact that we believe in Jesus Christ. He himself and his finished work is what grounds us together. And the fellowship and the common union we have is him, not our behavior. So we come together and we eat the tree of life together and we go away not only better ourselves, but knowing, hey, if we can just get people to come and experience who we are together, the world's going to change. And that's how we function. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I loved you. So you go love each other. So, I mean, here it is. New commandment, new covenant. It's not go take your Bible and learn a bunch of verses. As good as that is, please don't hear me say anything bad about that. But what I'm trying to say is he's not saying, you know how you live a successful Christian new covenant life? He's not trying to say go away and improve yourself. Go away and get better at the Christian disciplines. He's trying to say experience my love and then give it to other people. The whole orientation of the commandment in the new covenant is love others. Love others. Now this word connection that I've thrown out quite a bit. I just want you to see this really good here. I think, uh, I think Pastor Cheryl even brought some of this up in the, in the pre-show. But Brene Brown, she defines connection as the energy that exists between people. And I don't hear like new age energy. Just You know when you walk away from a, an engagement with somebody or an encounter and you're just like, I feel good. Yeah. I feel stronger. I feel better. I feel like something happened in my life. That's what she's talking about. It's the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. When they can show up in a relationship and give something and receive something without feeling judgment, and they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship, that's connection. That's something that we as the church can give to people in an unqualified, unconditional way. We don't need people to come through the doors with the same doctrines and beliefs and political ideas or anything else, right? We don't need them to conform to our behavioral pattern and expectation because we know that actually what really matters is what Jesus did. And what Jesus did is actually already applicable. See, he's, he, he's already reconciled the world to himself. He's not counting people's sins against them. And the deficit in the world is the knowledge of that, not the doing of it. Sin isn't the problem. Distance isn't an obstacle. Finally, we've got formation. There's notes are on the, on the internet. You can go look at them yourselves. But the, the key idea here is when you get together in groups with people, you actually get formed. The image of Christ comes out of you. 
And what I want to blow up here is the idea is what I'm talking about in groups is not we get together, we tell each other what to do, we show, we hold each other accountable for our behavior, and we start to just really nail down this is right, this is wrong, this is how you do right, this is how you avoid wrong, and you know what, next week come back and report to me because I'm going to hold you accountable for how you behave. That is not group life, and that is not Christian formation. And I'll tell you why. Christian formation is this. Jesus Christ died as you, was raised up from the dead as you, and his life resides on the inside of you. What you need to do is know it. You need to realize it, and you need to unpack the reality of it. And I'll tell you what, there's a, there's, a, there's a component of the mind being renewed that doesn't happen just by studying your Bible, but by having an encounter with other people who will treat you according to what the Bible says about you is true. So I show up in a group, and I'm feeling super unworthy and full of shame, and people love me. They see the ugly of my life, and they love me anyways, and they care for me. You know what? That is the kind of thing that changes you. And it doesn't make you something that you aren't already. It gives you the freedom to say, this is who I really am. And it lets you be authentic. And it lets the authenticness of what Christ did on, on the inside of you already come out. There's something powerful about people treating you like what Jesus did, he actually did. There's something powerful about that. I mean, the message, it needs to be preached. It needs to be proclaimed. But I'll tell you what, when people are able to look you in the face right after you said something dumb, did something stupid, or you are not feeling good about yourself and nobody else knows why, and they're able to offer you unconditional love and acceptance, that does something to you. That changes you in a way that years of teaching never could and never would. There's formation that happens, the unpacking, the giving of yourself permission to be who Jesus made you to be. That only happens in community. And you know what? You're, you might come in on a Sunday and you might hear somebody preach something and say something awesome. You might connect really with something in worship. You might see a song word or something and be like, yeah, that's true. That's awesome. And that touches you. And you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. But you know where that truth gets really hammered home again is in how you're treated in relationships with other people. Now, why I think this is really important, I'll be really quick. We're going somewhere, guys, yeah. as a church. And it's not just us, but the church is going somewhere. Jesus has plans and purposes in these times. And, you know, we got to know what they are. Yeah. You know, there's a group of people in the Old Testament that says they had knowledge of the times and they understood what they ought to do. And that's something that we got to have as well. we got to know we live in a post-Christian world. We don't live in the world anymore where people are biblically literate and people are going to even abide you telling them what the Bible says. I mean, there's a paradigm shift that has to happen across the whole of the church where we understand that actually, you know, we're, we're living in a post-Christian world and that's okay because God has something that he wants to do that's new. He, there's no reference point for it. So it says in Joshua, when they're crossing over the river, he says, you know what, you've not passed this way before and neither have we. God wants to do something in our times. This, it's totally radical and it's unique. And if you think about it, we got 2,000 years of church history and experience. We got 2,000 years of stuff that we know now that we've never known before. We have tools and resources you know, in our hands as a church that we've never had before. Technology, emotional awareness, all sorts of stuff, what it means to be a human that we've never had. And you know, the grace and the wisdom of God is here to apply that through us in a way that we've never seen before. So some of the old paradigms have to go. Like I said already, we got to let go of the idea that the problem in the world is sin. we got to let go of the idea that if we just give people a little bit more Bible, everything's going to be okay. That's not the truth anymore. You know, most people don't have a concept of the Bible, and they don't want one. The concept they have of the Bible is that book that incites violence and hatred. We are in a post-Christian world. It's not like everybody's been to Sunday school and knows the Christian stories. And if we can just say it to them with a little bit greater emphasis, somehow they're going to get it. 
This is by Barna. He did, this group did a, a survey, like a really extensive survey on the next generation and attitudes towards coming to faith. And they said this, you got to move beyond the event, the event kind of mindset. People in the future are not getting saved because there's a, a big event that we invite them to. In fact, and, and, and the cool thing about this is that there's actually, this is self-reported research by people in the world who are saying, no, thank you. I'm not interested. I don't want to go to your event. And, and, you know, event, that could even be church. A lot of people are like, I don't, I don't even want to go to your church service anymore. It's not an event-based thing. They said instead, what we got to do is we got to learn to think of long-term investment instead of a one-off. Again, that's why when we ask people to raise their hand, we're trying to say to you, you know what, join us in a relationship. Join us in a journey. And we're together going to unpack the reality of who Christ is inside of you. We don't want to just say, make that one-time decision. So, I mean, instead of focusing on a single experience or working hard to get people to a service or event, think instead about how any gathering is relevant and integrated into daily life and friendship. This is, the, this is people in the world speaking to the church and saying, what I want is a friend, what I want is connection, and if we're not connected, I'm not too interested in what you have to tell me about Jesus. See, the days are gone where people are asking, is Christianity true and is it right? Nobody's asking that anymore. They're asking the question, is, is Christianity helpful and is it good? Does it add value or does it cause problems? Now, you know, that, those of us who have been in the church for a while, we love truth and we love what's right, you know, and, and maybe that statement doesn't sit right with you, but the problem is this is what people think. This is how people see things. They don't want to know. They, people are not going to be convinced because you can, you can convince them historically that Jesus rose from the dead. Show me Jesus in our relationship. Don't talk to me about the patience of a God who I can't see, feel, or touch. Demonstrate his patience in our relationship because they're looking for an ethic of congruency between what we teach and how we live and what that looks like in relationship. That's where it's at. That's where people are. So the future, the church of the future that's going to really nail it and prosper and really succeed and partner with Jesus and what's going on is going to be the church that actually believes that the finished work of Christ is finished and has the ability to apply that in a relational way to the people around us. That's literally what it's going to boil down to because Jesus said this. He said, by this will all people know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's it. It's really that easy. The biggest problem we have in the church to embrace what Jesus said here is religion. Because religion said love isn't enough. I need you to change first. I need you to agree with me. I need you to accept my position. I need you to accept the common understanding of what the scriptures say. You know what I mean? It, there, there's all these religious reasons for why we can't just love one another. But the Bible is screaming and the people in the world, it's kind of like Jonah. You know, Jonah, he, he was sleeping. He ran away from God. And it was actually the people in the ship that had to wake up Jonah and say, hey, you're God. He's trying to get your attention. What's going on? It's like the world is saying to the church, come on, I want to know this God, but hey, this is the way. It's like the world is saying, we're starving for connection. You guys have the solution, but we need you to come and start engage us on where we are. Meet us like Jesus did, incarnate and become part of our lives together. And let's do something together. But we got we to gotta be able to say, you know what, it's actually love. It really, we got to see this. We got to believe this. And I'll tell you where it starts. It starts with what we heard last week. It starts with being able to get rid of the knowledge of good and evil. It starts with being able to say, I'm entering freely into relationships with people because when I see you, I see what Jesus did for you. I see you through the lens of who he is inside of you. I see that your sins have been forgiven. I see the mess that's going on, but I'll tell you what, I see that there's a redeemer. He loves you. I see that he himself is your redemption. 
I see the poor decisions you've made, but guess what? Jesus, who is wisdom for you, of God has become wisdom for you, lives on the inside of you. And you're not six years away from a turnaround. You're a moment away from a turnaround by realizing the life of Christ within you. You're not an unholy, wretched mess that can't be turned around in a second because Christ himself is our holiness. So I tell you what, when you, when you start to see the finished work of Christ and you can apply that in personal relationships, that's what groups are all about. It's a new way to do groups. It's a new way to be community. It's a new way. It's a new old way, really, to do family. It's where we actually believe what Jesus did, and we share that with one another. Amen? That's what I'm looking forward to. That's the, that's the culture that we want to see develop in groups. It's the culture of the finished work of Christ being applied to our group life. And don't get me wrong, groups, as awesome as they are, they're not going to solve all your relationship problems. You're not going to show up to a group and all of a sudden never feel lonely again. Groups are not a substitute for Sunday. They're not a substitute for the corporate experience, nor are they a substitute for having a couple quality people. I mean, you're not going to show up at groups, hopefully, and just kind of share everything about your life. I mean, that kind of that relationship is earned. That's kind of a trust that's developed. That's not the kind of, you know, so understand what groups are and what they aren't. But I tell you what, they're going to provide us with the atmosphere, with the, with, with the, the opportunity to begin to practice radical hospitality and acceptance for one another in a way that really mirrors what Jesus did. So that's, that's all coming up. I mean, a lot of that starts this week. So uh, if I haven't said it before, sign up for a group. It's just a click away. Amen. <laughs>